0: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters.
1: And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation plants, yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so.
0: The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind.
1: and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth.
0: And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day.
1: And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so.
0: And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good.
1: Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth.
0: So God created man... In his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them.
1: And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said...
0: And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day.
1: Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them.
0: And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done.
1: So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation.
2: Creation week inspires and awes us. I mean, what majesty, what grandeur, what history, what symbolism, what truth. What inspiration. We are filled with awe as we take in the scope of Elohim's creation in one sitting. Thank you, Aubrey and Allison, for reading so beautifully for us. Three years ago on this day, I was taken with one of those voices. Um, I'll let you decide which one it was. I met Allison three years ago today. I actually had heard her voice a few days earlier, but it was lovely to see her read, hear her read this morning, and you as well, Aubrey, although I don't have the same feelings for you that I do for her. <clears throat> You remember the name Elohim, don't you? We talked about Elohim last week. He is the God who created everything. Elohim simply means God. We put a capital G, though, because we believe that He is the God over all creation. He introduces Himself to us through Moses as Elohim in order to establish fully that He is the Creator of all that exists. He is God over all creation. He is the God of all peoples. And He rules over all that there is in heaven and earth. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thus the title of today's message. The God who is King. Now perhaps you wouldn't have thought about kingship in this text. You might would have thought possibly that we would focus our details on the days of creation. Or that we would uh, uh, seek to to explain somehow the literary form of Genesis 1 and and to discover the symbolism. And so speak the spiritual meaning of the story. What are we going to do with the creation story? Uh, Is it history, or is it a particular form of literature laden with symbolism? Well, the answer will not surprise you. It is yes. Listen to what Don Carson says about our text. I hold that the Genesis account is a mixed genre that feels like history and really does give us some historical particulars. At the same time, however, it is full of demonstrable symbolism. Sorting out what is symbolic and what is not is very difficult. And that's the challenge that we face, particularly in the early chapters of Genesis. We will approach Genesis as it is written, as an historical account. But we will acknowledge at the same time that the story of redemption, of redemptive history that is being told is more important than trying to understand the particulars of creation or to reconcile this account with science. Most likely, this will be much easier to do 100 years from now. And you can look at that any way you want to. In trying to offend no one, I've probably offended everyone. So let's just move on from from here. We're going to treat this as an historical account that's telling a story. Not historical fiction, but rather history that emphasizes the main point of history. Jesus So what of this great account that Aubrey and Allison read for us so beautifully? How does this show us that God is king? We tend to think of God as above all kings, not like an earthly king at all. But as the story unfolds, we, we recognize very quickly that God is forming a land, He is populating the land, and He's setting up a kingdom for Himself. Perhaps you have heard of the kingdom of God. He's beginning to establish this kingdom from the very beginning. Earthly kings in, either inherit their position, or they fight and struggle to obtain that position. Maybe that fighting is it, it, it involves swords and guns, or maybe it's political in nature, but earthly kings are, are, are either given that position or they seek to obtain that position through force of some sort. Now, God sets up and, and, and puts down all kingdoms, and most of us would agree, not the guy necessarily, um, well not everybody necessarily but but most of us would agree that we have a responsibility to participate in the governments that we have and Let me remind you, between now and November six, you can participate in your government, vote early, and vote often if uh, no, no just just kidding about that um, but But think about the ways that kings come to their position and, and And our God, though, the King of kings, just spoke the land over which he would rule, spoke the people or formed the people out of the dust of the earth over which he would rule into existence. God is immediately identified in Genesis 1 as the sovereign ruler over the entire universe. Rather than belabor this point, though, I'm going to leave that to Sean next week to flesh it out as he deals more thoroughly with the creation of man and and man's role on this earth and the, in fact the title of the message is going to be the God Who His father endows us with dominion what does all of that mean well come back next Sunday uh, last week we talked about some patterns that were established in, uh, during the creation, uh, at the very beginning of creation that will continue as long as there is time. We'll do the same uh, today because God reveals so much about His character and His ways right at the very beginning of time. A- and, and the patterns that were established right at the very beginning continue And will continue until the end of time. In the briefest of reviews, let's think about the patterns we discovered last week in the first three verses of Genesis 1. First, life always originates with God. It flows from Him to us. When God is at work, the wasteland becomes fruitful. God's Word is the first, last, and only authoritative Word in the universe. When anyone else speaks and and, and something happens, it's because God allows it. And last, God's Word brings light and life. Uh, Today, we're going to go all the way through Genesis 2-3 to discover more patterns established in the creation week. Chapter 2, by the way, begins in the wrong place. Now, I can say that because... Chapters and verses were added many, many years ago. The first attempt was back in the 13th century, and then it was even later before the chapters and, and, and verses that we have now uh, in the Bible were, were established. Uh, they were done so in order to help us to, to, to organize um, particular thoughts and, and ideas and, and, and paragraphs, but sometimes that gets in the way. It was not inspired, the verses that we have today were not inspired to be put 1, 2, 3, 4 in this particular chapter. Sometimes they are quite helpful, sometimes not so much as in today's text, but it's really no big deal. Um, As we look at Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3, the first pattern that we acknowledge in this text is that there is order and purpose in all of God's works. Now that's why I get paid the big bucks to come up with brilliant insight like this. There is purpose and order in all that God does. But if this truth is so obvious, I'm not sure why it is that we fight against it so much. Why it is that we fail to see it and acknowledge it. I mean, consider the structure that God employed creating his universe. In the first six days, he moves from forming the earth to filling it. First half, he's, he's forming it, then he's filling it. Isaiah 45, 18 and 19 says this, For thus says Yahweh. It would say the Lord in your translation, but he's given his name. Thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens. He is God, or he is Elohim, who formed the earth <laughs> and made it. And, and by the way, think about this. We'll get to this a lot more in a lot more detail in a few weeks. But Yahweh is the covenant name of God. He uses that name with his people Israel. Elohim shows that he is creator over all the universe. And he is the God of everything and everybody. So thus says Yahweh, talking to his people who created the heavens, he is Elohim, he is the God of all creation. Who formed the earth and made it. <clears throat> He established it. And by the way, these paragraphs are in our translation. I didn't put them there or the parentheses I mean. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. In other words, there is purpose in everything I do. I, Yahweh, speak the truth. I declare what is right. While there's much to interest us in these verses, such as the connection between creation, covenant, and redemption, I want to think just a few minutes about God's design that he he states so clearly here, as seen at the very beginning of creation. Order and purpose are, are, are in God's design. The earth was created for a purpose, nothing accidental about the earth or its inhabitants. So let's think about that phrase, he did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. Just think of the way that God designed this creation week. On days one to three, God formed the earth, and on days four to six, he filled it. And it looks something like this. Day one, light. Day four, sun and moon. Day two, sky and seas. Day five, creatures of water and air. He's forming the earth, and then he's filling it. Day three, the fertile earth that begins to sprout vegetation. Day six, humans and land animals who populate the earth. So he's forming, and he's filling it. Did you see the beautiful symmetry in God's design? There's so much of that even in Scripture. There's so much in, in Old and New Testament that we don't even see the way the, the Scripture just flows. The structure of the sentences. We have the advantage when we think about creation of looking back at God's account on His creation and seeing it, seeing the big picture. It's sort of like we see it from above. It's written, though. As, as if by one who was standing on the earth and he's seeing this unfold one day at a time. Imagine if you were standing on the, world, on the earth witnessing creation occur, piece by piece, moving toward complete, completion. How much sense would it make on day one? Not very much. I mean, there's light, and yet you don't even know the source of that light, it's just light. Then the dividing begins and the universe begins to take shape. And the further one goes, the more sense it makes as God fills the land until finally on day six, the crown jewel of God's creation man and woman appear. This pattern of forming and filling is, it occurs time and time again in God's creation. And we see these movements in our own lives. I mean, we're raised by parents who who feed us, care for us completely at first. They, they, they protect us, they provide for us, they train us. And then the day comes where we are formed, so to speak, and then we go out and fill God's plan for our lives and for those around us and the, and the universe around us. There's a process. It's the same way with regard to... To knowledge and application. When you go into a, 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 go into a job <clears throat> that's rather technical in nature, you have to be trained before you're set free to do what you want to do. This so, is going to sound like a silly illustration maybe, but in 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 Chicago and a few other cities I'm sure, but I, I've only been in Chicago, there's a, there's a coffee shop called Intelligentsia. Anybody ever been to an Intelligentsia coffee shop? I thought I was better than you. Now I know. Uh, I, I, <laughs> just kidding. You know that that's the opposite. It's the opposite. But th- in this coffee shop. You know Michael. My son told me about it. He went there before I did. And and he says if you ask the wrong question. It's like they go. Ugh. And then they're very condescending. When they're patronizing. When they, when, when, when they give you the answer. You know tell you what you, you want to know. And. but he said, but he told me this, he found out that they have to train for four weeks before they're allowed to serve. Now, I'm not talking about getting the machines just right. I'm talking about the way that they pour the water over every individual cup of coffee, and it's good stuff. So if you're, it's real close to the bean. The next time you're in Chicago, find out where intelligentsia is and go get a cup of coffee. But, But they take their coffee very seriously, obviously, and they train people to to go to work. But look, so many times today, people just want to jump right into life before they're ready to jump into life. But God has a process in life, and He says, if you're going to do what I intend you to do, there's going to be training first. Uh, The same is, is, is true with regard to how we understand Scripture. You know, the pattern in Paul's letters and and, and some of Peter, well, one of Peter's letters is this, to, to give us the knowledge of who we are in Christ and then be told how we should apply that. But there's knowledge first and then there's application. Not too many years ago, uh, preachers spent all their time talking about or, or emphasizing knowledge in Scripture. This is what this text means. And look, if you're, a, if you're a preacher, if you're a pastor, and you've studied, there is great temptation to think the application is in the knowledge. I mean, if you just know this, it just automatically flows from you. But it, it doesn't flow all that much, and so that's why Paul says, here's who you are in Jesus, and here's how to apply that. Well, a lot of people today... Don't want to spend too much time on the knowledge. They won't really want to just get to it. Let's, what is it that life holds for me? What does God want me to do? <coughs> just give me something to do. And by all means, there's plenty to do. Even in our early years of walking with Jesus. In fact, you're probably a far better evangelist the first year you meet Jesus than you are 20 years after. Which is unfortunate. But God has an order for life. He forms us, He molds us, He yields us. And then He says, have, take dominion. Live as you have been created to live. Just talking about Scripture another moment. When we when we seek to apply Scripture without having a good understanding of what it means, we set ourselves up for significant disappointment or even danger. Because we, we, we misapply Scripture. If we don't take the time to find out what exactly does this mean. That's why we're looking at creation. We're trying to understand at first how it was written to the people who first received it. And then we move forward to saying, now what does that mean for me? You can't have day five of creation without day two. Let it be said though, day two was never intended to stay day two. But rather, it was designed with day five in mind. Well, you get the picture. We, we could spend a lot more time here, and, and we will in home groups. The next two patterns actually flow from this first one. The second pattern is this: God moves from darkness to light. Darkness, as we know, is the absence of, of light, and it's an important. It's important to 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 acknowledge that. Darkness was not bad before before creation, before God spoke light into existence. It's not that darkness was bad. It was nonetheless darkness, and God moved his creation from darkness to light. Even though it was not a negative thing, the pattern of the gospel was already taking shape, moving from darkness to light. Did you notice how the days were described? And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. That's why the Israelites understood the day to begin at sundown and why if you celebrate Sabbath in a Jewish home today, when are you going to celebrate it? Friday night. You're going to start it Friday night. Since the fall, though, we tend to think of darkness as something to be avoided. Now, we, we appreciate it at night. You know, and if you like to sleep late, and, and the light bothers you when you're trying to sleep, you get those heavy-duty curtains, you know, to try to block out the light. But spiritually, darkness is a bad thing. We get the need to move from darkness to life. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And then in John 3, 19, the light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And you know that's true, don't you? Even as a believer, if you're going to sin, especially if you set it up in your mind, you know how you're going to do it, where do you go? To the darkness. You want to hide. You don't want anybody to see what you've done. You don't want it to come to light. And we use those expressions, don't we? Well, the administration's doings have come to light. You know, this candidate, let's check the facts. And Sean, who is, you know, claims to be apolitical, says, who checks the fact checkers? Good question. You know, who does check the fact checkers? <laughs> when you sin even as a christ follower you most often seek to do so under the cover of darkness in attempt to hide your sin but god is always leading us into light another pattern established in this creation week was six days in rest this, this this may be the most obvious for us we we recognize the way that god Set it up. This past spring, we talked for three Sundays about Sabbath rest. Planned to do it one Sunday, and it ended up being three Sundays. Even though we're free from the Sabbath laws of the Old Testament, the pattern of six meaningful days of work, and then one meaningful day of rest is still the best way to live. Rest, as we talked about and discovered this past week, involves trust. It's as much in our hearts and our minds as it is in our bodies. We need the break. But it really speaks to where we're resting in our heart. That's what Hebrews talks about when it talks about entering into the Lord's rest. And based on what we have considered thus far, our Creator King is trustworthy. If rest involves trust, He is trustworthy. Even when it's dark. Even when life seems chaotic. Even when we fail, we fall, we sin, we blow it. God wants to move us from darkness to life. That's the gospel cycle in our lives, even after we know Jesus. Everything God does is good. You saw that over and over, didn't you? Heard it over and over. And God saw that it was good. And after He created man and He looked over all His creation, what did He say? It was very good. Then He rested, and God's rest continues to this day, even though He continues to work. And again, you, you're you going to have to go back and listen to those messages um, to hear what that means. In fact, I probably should listen to them again. My friend Jimmy, who was on the screen a little bit earlier, who's speaking to us Saturday morning, I asked him one time, I said, what do you think about this? He said, I don't know. I'll have to check my notes and see what I believe. And <laughs> I understand what he means. <clears throat> but that rest certainly has to do with a, with, with a spirit and an attitude more than it does with active or uh, active works or not, whether our works are active or inactive. Even though we are fallen and we live in a fallen world, God is always moving us from darkness to light. And you know what? Here's a beautiful thing. You don't think of this as beautiful until you finally start to get it. But God will give us as many opportunities as we need to trust Him. And it's not fun oftentimes learning to trust Him when we are constantly seeking to control our circumstances and to control our environment, to, to, to find ways to get out of trouble or to stay out of trouble. Or but God will give us as many opportunities as we need to trust Him. He's always moving us toward rest. And let me say this you can always trust god let me say that again you can always trust god there's some of you some of you this morning are saying no no i can't not in this situation you can trust him look at what he did when he spoke the world into existence and how we formed it and how we filled it And then he rested. And that's just one reason that the last truth is so evident to those who believe. All creation is made for God's glory. Would you rather live in the world before or after the fall? Well, what a ridiculous question, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to live in Eden with all creation submissive to Elohim? But all creation was not submissive at that point, was it? Because Satan was already plotting to destroy God's creation. Psalm 19.1 says what so many other verses in Scripture attest and what our hearts affirm. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Isn't it interesting that God speaks to us through His creation? God spoke the universe into existence and He speaks to us through His creation. The order of His creation shouts an intelligent design at the very least, but His written word and the Holy Spirit about the, make the Creator God extremely personal. And He is worthy of our worship and praise. And we all worship something. Unfortunately, we often worship some form or some part of creation. I want to begin moving us toward the Lord's table by saying something that makes a lot of sense to me. It may not make it to you. But as I've read this week, and actually I've been thinking about this for a while, and, and, and... if if you read too much into what I say. Then then you can take it to the wrong place. And so it's a little bit dangerous for me to say this. But I think it's important for us to, to, to get this truth. God is going to be praised by all of creation. He is going to be acknowledged as Lord and King over all creation. The, those who are apart from Him for all eternity, I'm certain, will not praise Him. But... Their plight gives glory to God. As wonderful as life would be if sin had never entered this world, we would not know Jesus in the way that we do apart from the fall. And how this works, and and this is all part of Elohim, He's bigger, He's plural, He's bigger than we're able to get our hearts and minds around. How all of this works, I'm not sure. But I'm fairly certain that the blessing of eternal life will be all the greater by knowing what it is from which God has delivered us and redeemed us. Is it arrogant to say that? Heavens no. Heavens no. If you really understand what's what's being communicated there, you have to come with extreme humility and the bowing of of the heart and the head. And it should throw gasoline on the flames of our desire to see other people come to Jesus. To think that part of the glory of God is the separation between heaven and hell. And we recognize what God has done, and we will worship and praise Him all the greater. One day when we know, even as we are known, we will lift our heads, our hearts, and our hands in praise to our great Creator God, who is also Redeemer. Well, all of creation, all of Scripture, points to Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of lords, let us prepare our hearts for communion as we consider the powerful words of Hebrews 1. I'm going to resist the urge to comment, and we could spend so much time here connecting this with Genesis 1. You let the Holy Spirit do that in your heart, and let the truth of Genesis 1 wash over your soul as we see God's purpose fulfilled in Jesus. Hebrews 1, to 1-12. Long ago, Of his nature. Jesus is God. And he upholds the universe. By the word of his power. After making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty. On high. Having become as much superior to angels. As the name he has inherited. Is more excellent. Than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say. is forever and ever, King Jesus. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. I have to say this, Lord in the New Testament is almost always referring to Jesus. God almost always refers to the Father. little overlap, and it's the Trinity, so one is the other, but the writer means Jesus. And you, Jesus, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Let's pray. The elders would come forward. Father, Thank you for allowing us to know you. Not, not just in, in some sort of a vague way in which we recognize creation as being somehow intentionally formed. But to know you first as Redeemer. And then all of the implications... Of you being not only our creator, but the creator of the universe overwhelms us. We thank you for moving in our hearts and lives from darkness to light. We thank you for bringing Jesus the light into the world through whom we have life. We thank you that one day we are going to be, as Jesus, perfect in every way because of his great sacrifice for us, and that we will be singing the praises from perfect hearts. We worship and acknowledge you, Lord, even as we come to your table. Meet us here.
3: Before we come to the Lord's table, um, I just want to read a little bit. This is from Second Corinthians, and this goes along with the pattern that God is making all things new. We are talking about the creation, um, and He's always moving from darkness to light, from disorder to order. Um, in Second Corinthians, Paul uh, is talking about moving from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, from the law to grace. And he says... Um, For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, which came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So just like Jesus said, it's not that the law was bad, it's not that the darkness was bad, but all things are being regenerated and made new. Uh, Paul goes on to say, And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Um, as a symbol of this new covenant that uh, God has made with us through Jesus, um, He instituted the, the Lord's Supper uh, just before His crucifixion and resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul also mentions uh, and talks about this covenant, this sign of the covenant. Um, he says, for what I receive from the Lord, I also deliver to you. He, he received from the Lord, he says, we don't know if this came from his uh, from learning from the other apostles, maybe from Peter, or maybe he received it directly from the Lord. But he, uh, just as in the Gospels talked about the, the Last Supper, he In this, uh, this sign of the covenant that, we, that is open to all believers in Jesus Christ, we um, take it and remember Him and remember what He did for us.